That's justification. And after he's taken care of all of that, we begin this process of sanctification, this clean-up process. And this change that God wants to make in us through and through is a continuous thing. That's why Paul could say to the church at Philippi, chapter 1, verse 6, he who began a good work in you, that's the justification part, he who began that good work in you is now going to carry it out to completion. He wants to keep clean you up and change you through and through. Now, this morning we're going to take a closer look at how God does that. Now, Ephesians 2, I've read it to you already, has that very familiar salvation verse in it. The one that says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And together we're going to see how that passage teaches us not only how to be saved, but how God is at work in us through and through, making us more and more each and every day into the image of his son, Jesus. And you can probably already see on your message outline that there are at least three ways that God is at work in your life to help you change. I hope you want to change. I hope none of you says, I'm the way I am, don't want to change. Hope nobody liked that here this morning. Everybody say, I want to change. change. Okay, the rest of you don't need to pay attention. Well, I hope that was everybody. Here's number one. God wants you to bury the past in the past. You know that? God wants you to bury the past in the past. Let's take a look at these first couple of verses again. Verses one to three. As for you, Paul Paul says... You were, past tense, were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now he goes on then in verse 3 and says, All of us also lived among them, kind of past tense, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Now, Paul wrote these words assuming that that lifestyle was all in the past. As I speak to you today, however, I realize that for some of you, this may not be the case. In fact, I think everybody here this morning falls into one of three categories. I wrote them out for you on your outline. Category one would be those people who have given their lives to Christ and have successfully left behind their old way of life. That's one group of people. You in that group? How about group number two? Those who have given their lives to Christ, but still struggle with their old way of life. That's another group. Here's a third group. Those who haven't yet given their lives to Christ, and what Paul refers to as the old way of life is actually the current way of life. Now, if you're in group one, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you don't need to pay much attention here to point number one. You can kind of coast through this. But I have no doubts that most of us probably fit somewhere in category two, and there may even be some who are here today who fit in category three, but it doesn't have to be that way. That's what Jesus wants to say to us today. God doesn't want you to be chained to a sinful way of life. He wants to set you free, and then he wants to give you the power that you need 
to overcome the sin, and as a result, to bury the past where it belongs, and that's in the past. Now, this begins with a decision to follow Jesus. Now, I'm not standing and talking about decision theology. I know we have a song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. Okay, fine. I like that song, but you ain't deciding nothing without the Holy Spirit. Got that? When you say, I have decided to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit's already done some work in you. So let's get that out of the way. This is not decision theology. You don't decide anything. Oh, should I quote Martin Luther? Sure I should. I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but he has called me by the gospel. That's the way it goes. See, I can't do anything. But there is a decision when the Holy Spirit works in your life to follow Jesus. There comes a time for some of you, and it came for some of you, and, and for some of you it may still be coming, where you actually say something like this, Lord, I want to turn my back on my old way of life, and instead I want to follow you. I want you to come into my life, forgive my sins, give me the strength to live for you. See, that's where it starts for many people. And friends, if you've never done that yet, if you've never made that decision, there's there's no reason you can't make that decision right now. And if you have already made that decision, I mean, I'd be one of those who's made that decision. Guess what? You can renew that today. You can say that one more time. That's, the, that's one of the first steps from breaking free of your past. See, Paul is aware of the power the old way can have on a, per, a person. I mean, you look back again at verse 3. It says... All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Did you see those three words? I, I don't know if I underlined them in that passage. I think I did in that passage on the outline. You've got there the pyramid of power of the old way of life, don't you? Cravings, desires, and thoughts. Now, for some of us, some of you, Sin is not just an occasional slip-up. It's a constant, never-ending craving. It's a craving that never leaves you alone. And you always feel somewhat powerless when that sin comes sneaking into your life. And once that craving consumes you, there is almost nothing you can do to escape it. Now, maybe that craving is your temptation to explode in anger at your spouse or your children. Maybe it's that craving is to drown your misery in alcohol or drugs or food. Or, or maybe that craving is to commit some sort of sexual sin or to spend more money than you make at the mall. Or maybe it's to exploit some sort of business situation or to take advantage of somebody for your own selfish gain. I hope you see what I'm saying here. The lure of the old way of life. It kind of comes in a variety of forms, a variety of facets, but the result is always the same. It brings the stench of your past into the present, and it makes living a new life for Jesus almost impossible. Do you ever have that happen? The past came creeping into your present when you least expected it. Let me give you just kind of a minor little silly example. 
number of years ago, I was with a good friend of mine, Dr. Kent Hunter. We were down in Phoenix, Arizona at a conference. There's another friend of ours who lives in the Phoenix area, and so we decided to go out and have lunch together. Just three guys. Went to a Tex-Mex restaurant, loaded up on you know, frijoles and tacos and you name it all. And because the church doctor ministries is located in Corona, Indiana, we thought we should all have a Corona beer to boot. So you got three guys sitting there, sucking down a beer, full of food, having a great old time, and I lean back in my chair and I say to myself, boy, a cigarette would sure taste good now. And I went, I didn't say that out loud, but I, where did that thought come from? I hadn't had a cigarette in 40 years. But see, sometimes you put yourself back in the wrong situation or in a situation that triggers the past. And all of a sudden it came shooting forward. Well, I got rid of that thought real quick. I buried that sucker back where it belonged. Now, some of you, it's not quite so simple and as silly as that. The past comes creeping forward. Now, how do you get rid of that? How do you bury the past in the past? Well, Paul gives us a hint here in this little pyramid of power. He says, our cravings are born out of our desires, and our desires are born out of our what? Our thoughts. See, if you want to ultimately get power over your sin, you have to attack it at its stronghold, and its stronghold is located right here between your ears. It's in your thoughts. See, when you change what you think about, and when you change what you think about what you think about, you can change your life. You can change your destiny. Now, here's what I mean. We have a tendency to identify ourselves sometimes more with our sinful past than we do with our sanctified future. That's why we have people walking around, even in churches sometimes, who they don't say it out loud, but they're thinking, Man, I just can't control my temper. I have no control whatsoever over my temper. Or I'm just, I'm powerless when it comes to food. Or I don't know, I, just, I must just be a, a dishonest person at heart. Or man, I, I just cannot control my tongue. And they kind of go on and on and on. Now friends, all I'm saying is, if this was true, and it may very well have been true in the past, Paul says... God wants you to bury that past in the past. What was true about you yesterday does not have to be true about you today. That's why I said, what does God want to do with you? God wants to change you through and through. And in order for him to change you, you have to change the way you think. When I taught high school, one of my high school uh, friends on the teaching staff used to always say, too many people practice stinking thinking. And that's true. We, we, we spend too much time thinking negative thoughts. We need to think about our sanctified future. For example, when a situation arises that would typically make you blow your top or lose your mind or lose control, maybe there's two steps to take. One of them is just simply change what you think about. I mean, instead of dwelling on that situation, dwell on the solution or dwell on a non-related subject that's more conducive to a peaceful mind, or, or if that's not enough, then maybe change what you think about what you think about. 
You can't say, that's not a little about a double talk, but change what you think about what you think about. Instead of thinking, this is the kind of stuff that puts me over the edge, say to yourself, this is the thing that used to put me over the edge, the very thing that Christ is at work changing in me. If you want to bury the past, you got to kill it first. And the only source of life that your past has is right here in your thoughts. When you change what you think about, and what, when you change what you think about what you think about, you can change your destiny. I mean, that's exactly what Paul is talking about in the book of Romans, chapter 12, when he says, be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. I mean, this is how God enables you to bury the past in the past. He changes you through and through, and he starts right up here in your mind. Here's the second thing I would tell you. God's method for exacting or enacting change in your life is he wants you to become alive spiritually. He wants you to become alive spiritually. Now, there are a lot of people who say, well, I'm already religious. I don't want you to become religious. Religion's got nothing to do with this, folks. This is spirituality. This is a living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Be, being a Christian is much more than turning over a new leaf. It's the process of beginning a brand new life. The old way is like living death. See, the, the sins that are part and parcel of that lifestyle always point in one direction. Do you know that? All of your sins always point in one direction. you know what direction that is? They point to you. All of your sins are sins of self-centeredness, self-gratification. Sin is basically thumbing your nose at God and saying, I'll be God. I intend to please myself. I intend to do what makes me feel good at this point in time. Whether it's a physical gratification, whether it's an emotional gratification, sin is always about self-indulgence. And see, what God wants to do is move you into a new realm of existence. He wants you to come alive spiritually. He wants to infuse, if you will, life into your life, making it more meaningful than ever. Now, I want to point you to a couple of verses that I don't know whether this would be new for you, but I'll tell you, this kind of, I had a blog about this twice this week. Both times it's like, wow, I never thought about that. But look at verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. See, God wants to give us eternal life, but this is not just quantity of life, I mean like living in heaven forever. It's also he wants to give us a quality of life. He wants God's life living on us right now. That's why Paul could say to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Well, if I'm no longer living, how am I going to be alive? Well, Christ lives in me. See, this is eternal life. Christ living in me. When you decide to follow Jesus, there are some things that go on behind the scenes that nobody ever sees. Look at verse 6. This is what I, this kind of blew my mind. And God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now, I know some of you look at that and you go, yeah, that's coming someday. No, friends, if you're in Christ, that's right 
now. And I don't think some of us have ever stopped to even think about what that looks like. Now, I might just be talking to myself here, but I had never thought about it before. See, in other words, when you choose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you choose to follow Christ, you turn from your old way of life, God raises you up, that's what the scripture says here, he gives life to your spirit, and he puts you in a special place in heaven already with Jesus. This all went on behind the scenes, the world didn't see it take place, but it's just as real as today's sunrise. Now, whether you are, have been a believer now for, oh, about 30 seconds, or whether you've been a believer for 30 years, I want you to listen very closely to what I'm going to say, because it, it contains a principle for changing your life. How do you get that eternal life? I mean, does it require a lot of good works? Or does it just require a few good works? Or maybe just one really honking big good work? Well, the answer is zero. It, it requires zero good works. There is nothing you can do to make yourself come alive spiritually. God does it for you. Paul says specifically in verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. So what does it take then? If good works won't get you into that place in heaven, what does get you there? Or some people say, well, faith. It's faith that saves you. Let me ask you this, friend. What kind of faith does it require? I mean, how much faith do I or you need to muster up in order to experience God's fullness in my life, in your life? I mean, do I need a huge Billy Graham kind of faith? The huge Mother Teresa kind of faith? Do I just need that little mustard seed kind of faith? Well, the answer is, you don't have to muster up any faith. You know that? You don't have to muster up any faith. Why is that? Because that too comes from God. You can't even work up your own faith. Verse 8, what does it say? For by grace you've been saved through faith. Then he goes on and he says, And this, that faith, is not from yourselves either. It too is a gift of God. Now in other words, God gives you the faith you need to live spiritually. Here's the principle that we need to cling to. The principle is simply this. Your life as a Christ follower, your life as a Christian, is not the result of any good deed. It is not the result of your tremendous faith. It is the result of God's overwhelming grace. There it is. See, friends, God wants to change you. But in order for him to do it, you've got to let go of that idea forever that this is something that you somehow can accomplish on your own. You've got to get rid of forever that idea that somehow, someway, you can actually help God in this process. You need to recognize that your life is at best a living death. Your only hope is to receive new life from him. And that principle is the same 
no matter how long you have been a believer, no amount of good works, no amount of faith can earn you the right to be placed in heaven. Now, I want to go back to that thought, but when it says he places you in heaven, I want you to think about something. I, I, I don't know if you get this picture in your mind. I want you to imagine heaven for a moment. Imagine the heavenly realms, whatever comes to your mind. You have to close your eyes to do it as long as you don't fall asleep. But if you close your eyes to, to envision what the heavenly realms look like, and in the heavenly realms, as you look at them, you see Jesus sitting on a throne. And Jesus sitting on a throne and seated around Jesus is this humongous group of Christians. But I want you to look closely. And if you look closely at that group of people, you'll see that that group is not just the superstar Christians. A whole bunch of stumbling Christians are there as well. And if you look real close, guess what? There you are in the heavenly realms with Jesus already. I think that's pretty cool. I'd never really thought about that before until I went through these facts. I don't know how many times I read that scripture this week. And the other day I wrote something, I just go, wow! And that's all I can say, wow! I said it out loud in my office, wow! I, I never thought about that. He gives me faith, and then he already puts me up in the heavenly realms. What a cool deal. I didn't have to do anything. And guess what? I can't do anything to get that done. Now, how did you get there? I mean, how did I get there in the heavenly realm? It's because of something we did or something we didn't do? No. You're there because he brought you there. You're alive spiritually. Why? Because God made you alive spiritually. This life gives you a greater capacity for change than you ever realized. See, God changes you by making you a brand new person. That's exactly what Paul meant when he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. See, God wants to change you through and through. He's never going to be done changing you because he wants you to become more and more like Jesus. He's going to help you do that by burying your past in the past and by helping you come even more alive spiritually. And third, he wants to help you custom design your future. Now earlier, I said that good, good works don't matter to God. Y'all heard me say that, right? Good works don't matter to God. But let me clarify something. They don't matter to God only in the sense that they do not save you. Good works do matter to God for another reason. He wants you to do those good works, why? To bring glory to him. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your what? Good works and what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Paul says that God's purpose in saving us, here's in verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See, he wants our lives to be an example of the goodness of of God. When people look at you, do they say, oh man, God is good. That's what God's looking for. He wants our lives to reflect 
all that God can do in a person's life. That's why he goes on in verse 10 to say, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. See, God has a custom-created future for you. I mean, there are things that God's wired you up to do, and guess what? There are things that God has wired only you up to do, and if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. But you do it so it will bring not glory to yourselves, not to earn your way into heaven, but so that you can bring Him glory through all ages. It's kind of hard to imagine. I, I don't know about you, but it's kind of hard for me to look in the mirror in the morning and say, boy, what a wonderful example of God's workmanship. i got to be honest with you, that's not the thought that generally comes to mind. But that's exactly what we are. Paul is saying you are or you can be an example of God's very best work. You're his masterpiece. He wants you to show all of his goodness to the world. Now, I go to art fairs not because I, I like them, but because Nancy kind of likes them. I kind of tag along, and she generally takes longer to go through them than I do. But every once in a while, I stop and see something I like. And I remember a couple of years ago, it might have been at Geneva Art Fair or something like that, I got to talking to a guy who makes his living primarily by selling paintings at an art show. <clears throat> and he had about 20 pictures hanging there, and I said, you bring everything you got? And he looked at me like I was nuts. He says, oh, no. He says, I got an inventory of, oh, 100, 150 paintings, but I only got room for 20 of them here in my exhibit booth. And so every time he goes out to a show, he's careful to do what? To put his best works on display. Now you think about it, that makes sense, doesn't it? If you want other people to see what you're capable of doing, you show them your best work. You put your best foot forward. God wants you to be his living, breathing example. He wants you to be the one through whom he can show the world his glory. Now when God looks at human beings, he doesn't only see people whose sins need to be forgiven. He sees more than that. He sees someone who needs to be changed through and through. Every person becomes God's project. And it's not just that he forgives your sins. I mean, God does way more than just forgive your sins. After he forgives your sins, what does he do? He begins this process of changing you. Romans 8.29. I only put the reference down there. I figured you could look up one verse yourself today. But it says something in there about that verse. That God's objective is for you to become more and more like Jesus every day. He wants to change you through and through. Now, see, Paul also used the phrase good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God's already got your future mapped out for you. He knows the steps that he wants you to take. And see, the steps and even the missteps that brought you here this morning were known by God long ago. I always think about that on Easter, you know, when a lot of people kind of show up. Christmas, when a lot of people show up. Uh, you know, they're not there by accident any more than any of you are here by accident. Oh, some of you think you were nagged into submission this morning. Some of you had your arm twisted. Somebody said, you're not going to get out of doing this. I don't care what, what reason you think. God knew you were going to be here. 
And God has you here for a reason. He's planned it. And part of that, I hope, is maybe you heard something today in the message, or you even heard something in a song or whatever, that, that when you're ready, you can begin living the future that God's got designed for you. And in doing so, guess what? You become his walking masterpiece. And when you live out your life as his masterpiece, boy, things begin to change. Friends, God has plans for you. Somebody sent me an email this morning and sent a little phrase they've been interviewing for a lot of jobs, and they said, this is the one I get all the time. Thank you for taking the time to come in. You have wonderful talents and abilities, but they're really not suited for anything that we have at this time. And then she added, but thankfully God knows the plans he has for me already. See, other people may not have you in their plans. You may not fit where they think you ought to fit. But God says, I know where you fit. I know what the plans are. And I want you to show the world the incomparable riches of my grace. And I believe that you're the one that can do it. See, even when we fail, friends, God doesn't stop believing in us. Even when we fail, God does not give up on our future. See, God not only has great plans for you, God has high hopes for you. He believes that each of us can actually become more like Jesus. He is sure of this because he knows that he has the power to do it. He has the power to change you through and through. And for this reason, then, he'll bury your past because he wants to change you. He'll give you new life because he really wants to change you. 